You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. years from now, in the wake of a robot uprising, the United Nations will create an organization tasked with saving the very world from the Omnic Crisis. A group of misfits and heroes led by a veteran soldier will do just that. In times of war, and in the peacetime which will follow, another soldier will prove himself by continually bringing out the best in his team as well as in the communities he protects. He'll be given command of this organization, causing an irreparable schism between he and the prior leader, who will set about creating a black ops task force from within. Rumors will spread about this black ops team's misdeeds, causing distrust to mount within the UN as well as the world as a whole. This tension will eventually culminate in a massive firefight within the organization's Swiss HQ, leading to the destruction of the building, multiple deaths, and the eventual dismantling of the very team. Years will pass. Omnix will seek peace and acceptance, trying to live among humanity as sentient equals who mean their warm-blooded counterparts no harm. However, tensions will rise, as they are wont to do, and within another 30 years, need will rise again for the agents of Overwatch to be recalled. Blizzard has long understood that lore is imperative. It doesn't matter what type of game you're creating. We, the gamers, need a motivation. We need a history, and we need a purpose. All of these elements need not be laid out for you in the form of traditional questing. They can simply exist, and from there, those of us interested in learning more can do so whether it's via comic books, novels, cinematics, or even mock news reports on the developer's site. We need more than simply a gun in our hand. We need a reason to fire it. Tonight, Joe and I are going to be discussing Overwatch. Afterwards, we're going to drool about Dishonored 2, and maybe if there's time, discuss a couple of interesting Kickstarters as well. But for now, Overwatch. You played the crap, I'm going to assume, I can't remember if we talked about it, of Team Fortress 2, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's the the go-to for me, because everybody's played Team Fortress 2, so when people ask, hey, would I like this? That's what I ask. Did you like Team Fortress 2? No. Okay, then don't buy it. Otherwise, yeah, definitely do it. You'll like this. When you started playing this, again, and it's one of those things where, again, I keep going back to Team Fortress 2 because it's also about not just the fact that it was a first-person shooter, but that fun factor that you don't get in a lot of other ones that take themselves a little too seriously. So I keep going back to, again, Team Fortress 2 because of that as well as a whole bunch of other things too. But... Did you have as many like expectations going in of it's hard to explain where the importance of the game would be because it's kind of a little bit here, a little bit there in terms of it's trying to have a lot of story, it's trying to do um, the, the the first person sh- shooter elements and things like that. But what is it? And I, it's a lot of people will ask me just that if they haven't looked into it. Like, 
what what are we doing? What what is it? Is just like a mismatch of everything. And it's not until you go in and and really look through everything that you realize, holy crap, there's actually a ton of stuff there. And did you expect that going in? And and did you feel that it was well met? So this is actually a recent conversation I had with a few of my coworkers who have just recently picked up Overwatch. And they were huge in the Team Fortress 2. And that was, like you said, that was the comparison that I made is like, you know, it's the same same style. It's, you know, fast. It's lighthearted. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's like that, but updated, better controls, better graphics, whatever, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, when we started talking about where Overwatch came from, you got to understand, like, if you if you are unfamiliar with the history of Blizzard, for those of you out there, this was born of the remnants of what was going to be originally their next-gen MMO from years ago. They took bits of that that they deemed were not really going to be a thing anymore, and this was the distilled version of it. So the story had already been written for a bunch of stuff. They had already figured out a, a bunch of things like the world building and elements like that. And they were like, you know what's really fun? Shooting things with guns. Let's just make that the focal point of the gameplay and still do all of our story stuff and through different medias. Let's do comic books. Let's do shorts. Let's do, you know, cinematics. Let's do, you know, let's have fun with it. Let's do things that are different that you don't really see other games doing as often. And when we were talking about that and you could see those little bits and pieces there, like the Omnic crisis being this giant thing, right? This was a war. This was a war that... Yep broke out and tore the world asunder essentially not so much like you know cataclysm or anything like that but this was a a world shaking event and originally when they started talking about titan way back when that was one of the things that they were going to talk about was this huge war this huge event that shapes this world that you partake in this is just happens to be after that it, it it's interesting to me to see how different uh the original intent was to where we are right now uh i think that it was received overly well actually and i will say that part of that is because it's blizzard uh part of that is because they made it very very accessible to people who maybe weren't sure about the game so at first i was a little skeptical of the fact that all of the story for the game isn't in the game and it's a weird thing for me, right? We play games where the story is the meat of the game, but they made it a lot more accessible because you could go to their website. You could read the comic books. You could watch the shorts. You could listen to the newscasts and they're going to keep putting these out and you don't have to spend a dime on it. So you could, if you're not sure about it and you're like, what are the characters like? What's the story like? You know, I don't want to spend $40 or $60 to find out and then find out I don't enjoy what's going on you can poke around. And I think that was a really smart move on their part. I'm actually really happy with that. And I know that the people that I work with, my coworkers, a lot of them bought the game as a result of that because they were able to go and say, okay, well, what's this character that looks like she's, you know, from the blue music video from the nineties. Oh, that's actually a really interesting story. Okay. What about this one that is a robot with a cannon strapped? Oh, that's really cool. So, I think that's a really nice touch on their part. It's it was actually I'll go you one further. I don't think it was a nice touch. I think that it was it was a he was marketing genius is what it was. Uh, 
because it's about pleasing yeah, yeah, both factions. So you have the people that strictly want to go in and shoot things in a cool manner. They don't want story elements. Fuck that noise. It's a waste of time. And then you have, well, us. Who wants story in everything? There better be fucking story in my puzzle games. That's how much we want it. And so by putting all of that out there, but making it so that we, the people who want the story, just have to work a little bit harder at it. And in some circumstances, some people might think, well, making your players be the ones to have to seek out what the story is. That's not good business model, but it's blizzard and they have that flexibility because they have so much history and power that they can just say, okay, well, it's on the site. You can find it or, Hey, look at this news report, but they'll only like say it a couple of times. And then from there, it's the people who are interested who have to dig a little deeper and find that little nugget and go, Holy crap, that was cool as hell. And that's part of not just their, their power, but, our willingness to go the extra mile so that we can learn so much more. I mean, look at how many times we've done just that with stories that they've published from within oh, WoW yeah. and things like that. So, how, how many books have we read? How many how many comics have we purchased? How many to go, to do it. of lore have we gleaned from trading cards? I mean, it's... Because, it's again, it's, it's one of those things where say what you will about the state of World of Warcraft as a game now, nobody can dispute the fact that in terms of their lore, their worlds that they have created... It's brilliant. It's not always phenomenal. It's not always, you know, you might disagree with certain things, but as a whole, the entire thing works really well and is interesting and allows for quite a bit of flexibility. And yeah, you can cheat, but you can also come up with some amazing stuff. So it's one of those where in even the people who may not necessarily support Blizzard in terms of all of their games will still, for the most part, at least respect Blizzard's ability to create insanely intricate worlds for us to then live mm-hmm. in. So then it stands to, 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 to reason that they do the same thing with this. I wouldn't have thought so initially, but then knowing that it came from Titan and knowing their willingness to really dive a lot deeper now with story that, I mean, when you're seeing in a goddamn card game <laughs> and they're doing their stuff for Hearthstone, that it's like, yeah, okay. So I was... Not surprised per se, but what I have been surprised at is the caliber of the writing behind, which is, it sounds like it's complete opposite to what I was just praising them for, but it's, it's one of those, like, it's good enough that I'm looking, I'm kind of sitting back and go, damn, that was a great idea, but Mm -hmm. it was just said in passing or it was just an idea or just something that you briefly see and, or it's just maybe a couple of panels in a comic and I'm thinking, that there, that little thing that you referenced there, I want to know more about that. And none of this short-ass comic books. I want a full-length, you know, six miniseries, six-issue miniseries on just that little thing. And that shows, again, how intricate, how well-woven together, and how expansive this universe is that they've created. Well, and I think that speaks volumes of the passion that the developers and the writers and the people on this project have. 
and it also speaks to the sort of lateral flexibility they've had for the entire time they've been constructing this, simply because they're not constrained like they are for other IPs, right? Like World of Warcraft has sort of a, a set kind of, you know, framework that you have to work in. StarCraft does too, uh, to a lesser, I mean, Diablo as well. Overwatch is brand new. These characters are brand new. This world is brand new. So you have these young people coming in or people that have been sitting on these creative ideas forever. And this is a perfect opportunity for it. And, and because each character is from different backgrounds and has different stories and different personalities, but each one is equally important, they can take the time to really flush out completely different things. I mean, Reaper is completely different than Soldier 76, which, you know, we'll probably get into that in a little bit. Uh, Mai is a completely different personality than Torbjorn. It's, but their stories are equally compelling in different ways. And that sort of flexibility to develop a character that can just slot into this world very, very easily is fantastic. It also is going to be cool to see when they add new heroes because of that world they've, they've set up how they develop those stories, they don't have to worry about anything else aside from this loose framework that they've established of the story of the Omnic Crisis and the world after. As long as it fits into that, it could be literally whatever they want. Well, and that's really cool. Yeah, they've got the world to play with. And yeah, by, absolutely. By doing literally it, the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this is what I really liked about it as well. Because not necessarily Blizzard... But again, in a lot of games, and you may not notice this, however, as someone who is not American, I can tell you it's fairly prevalent in a lot of different things where it is a very American attitude and pride in your nation and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to make that very clear. Nothing wrong with having pride unless you're voting for Trump. Then shame on you for Foxy. <laughs> but but there's nothing wrong with that. But it is something that you notice a lot as someone um, as an outsider. And so when you see a game like this, which embraces everywhere. Oh, God, I love that. Mm -hmm. And not the, just the it, accents, the cultures, the even the state. Oh, God, the stage development. Yeah. Ah. It's it's great, and it's a respect for, uh, well, except for the Cockney accent. It's a respect for the, the cultures around the world and that there are heroes in each of them. Because, again, it's not just a we're an American team of kick-ass Navy SEALs and we're going to take over the world and things like that. It's, no, we're going to take the best of you, best of you, and pick and choose kind of thing who is equipped to do this job and to be a character in the game kind of thing. And I love that. And it is because of that, that I do look more forward to the release of more heroes, like you said, because it's going to add potentially a significant amount of lore then to tack onto this world. Oh, absolutely. So again, we've got, as I was saying, there's a lot of stuff that's very cool in different for different reasons and not the least of bit uh, the least of which being that the relationship between the characters and how either by chance or designed there's a lot of connections between them mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. as you're playing the game you can one of the characters is the soldier the soldier 76 so you can play him and 
again, Blizzard was smart in how they released information for this. There was a Q&A, developer Q&A, just, just before the game came out. Literally, I think it was about an hour before it came out with uh, Kaplan. Now, I've never hidden how I feel about him, and it's gotten a little better, but still, he's worked on this game. He's obviously putting a lot of himself into it, and I can respect that. So, anyways, and he did have some interesting things that he was talking about, which was uh, which was interesting. But he was talking about the uh, how information is being disseminated to the audience, to us. And to keep that in mind, because not all of the information that they're putting out is actually even true, or some of it is misleading mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. purpose and different things like that. And he says, you got to look at the source of who you're getting it, because some people will lie, or if it's a Twitter handle, or if it's a whatever kind of thing, or their news reports, and who's writing the news report, or whatever, and that has an impact. So as the story was going on, from the announcement to the point where they were putting out information to just before release kind of thing, it had not yet been made clear that the soldier was, in in fact, the character that took charge after the UN put him in. So mm-hmm. he was essentially the good guy of of the team. And that was uh, Morrison, isn't it? Yeah, that was Morrison. Uh, that, well, that was really interesting that you bring that up because that was done through the skin reveal, wasn't it, for Soldier 76 and Reaper, actually? It was for Reaper more so than Soldier 76. Yeah. Because the Reaper one has the, the skin, which is the uh, Black Watch, which was that Black... Ops team yeah, so was- Soldier seventy six also has uh, his pre his pre explosion skin, so to speak. Right, right, yes. And then the other one is the Black Watch, the Rays. It point blank says Rays, which his name was Gabriel Rays, and mm-hmm. um, Black Watch. So you you know that. But again, up until then, it wasn't it wasn't mentioned. So you didn't realize that whether you're playing the Soldier or the Reaper character, they have. A tie, a bond. And what I love is that when you are in game, they did a really good job with having the characters talk to each other. You don't have to prompt anything. You don't have to do anything. Same with while you are in game. Again, when you're looking at it in terms of the skill with which they put together a first person shooter, you, the characters will automatically say, watch behind you and different things like that to help you. And so, you know, shit, there's somebody behind me, and nine times out of ten, if it's a fucking tracer, <laughs> putting a bomb on me. But uh, I digress. But it's it's one of those things wherein you can, um, god damn it, I lost my train of thought now because of the <laughs> tracer joke. <laughs> or when they call for snipers. Oh, the chat thing. God yeah, yeah. Man. So anyways, uh, it's it's very cool that they've put these little things. But if you go close to one another before or at any point kind of thing, sometimes your characters will have dialogue between each other. And one of the ones for um, for Reaper and the Soldier is one of them mm-hmm. says, I thought you were dead. And the other one says, it didn't take. And I thought that was pretty damn – it was cool. There's – so me and my, my – weekly game or nightly gaming group that we've been playing overwatch like crazy uh we've decided to try to force trigger some of these (laughs) so we'll do like three players as one character three players as another and we'll all huddle together before the start of the game (laughs) to try to trigger the responses 
like Torbjorn, who, spoiler, is my favorite character, has some very interesting interactions with Zenyatta, Symmetra, and Bastion, which I thought was absolutely hysterical, but also ties in perfectly with his character and story, which was really, really cool. And it was just little tiny snippets and conversations. And there was actually one with Symmetra that lasted almost a full minute. Wow. And it was really, really interesting because we triggered it and we're sitting there and we're like, he's still going. They're still going back and forth. Wait, what, what, what? And uh, we're, we're on the Mumbai map and we're running down towards the defend point and they're still going. I've, was, I've had some of those. I've had I, I, some of that conversation, but one of the parties kind of walked off. So it ended, but I think I know what you're talking about actually. But yeah, because he can't wait to get his hands on her little turrets. <laughs> yes, yes. But I think that's really cool that there's these these hidden, I wouldn't even say hidden, but these chances for longer exchanges. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in that kind of thing, take your time at the start and kind of kind of move with your team a little bit and see if you can trigger some of those. You may be really surprised by what you hear. It's uh, it's I great. Mean, obvious to, ones like Genji and Hanzo. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, there's some 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 cool ones definitely to be had. Again, going back to what I was saying about how the the characters tie in as well and what makes it interesting. Like when you look at the story of you were just saying Genji and Hanzo. That's one of the um, the the latest videos that they put out. It's a couple behind, uh, and they they talk about that. And then there was some of that. Was there not a? There wasn't a comic for him yet, though. Was there? No, there no, wasn't. Not no, yet. not yet. I can't imagine there won't be. There probably will be, but because those are still coming out. So, but anyways, so essentially, Hanzo and Genji are brothers, and their father was actually. Yakuza kind of stuff and Genji didn't want part of the life so he chose to just be kind of a playboy thing whereas Hanzo stood the line and when his father passed took over the business and he was tasked with his from the the, the group that he was like the, the the empire was saying like listen you're gonna need to get rid of your brother so he believes he kills him and feels so guilty about that that he leaves the family and the, the organization and just basically goes out on his own seeking to redeem some of himself. Very kind of traditional Japanese story, folklore story, which is fine. And it's, it's, it fits. Uh, turns out though, Genji, not so much with the dead and mercy, which I love mercy is like, I'm, I'm, I play more Lucio, which he's great. And I love him, but mercy is just, I love her so dearly and I love the character too. And a lot of the things that she says. So anyway, she's a doctor. So she actually works in nanobiology. And so she gets to work on Genji and she's the robot. He's the reason he's like this cyborg kind of thing and what she's done to him to keep him alive. And so then Genji's kind of, hanging out in overwatch for a while but it's not right for him so he leaves and he too is searching for meaning in his life and so who does he meet zenyatta of course so he mm -hmm. studies under zenyatta so that's 
the relationship that he has with with him as well. And just from that little piece, you've got a crapload of characters intertwined together in a manner that is actually believable as it pertains to this universe that's been created. Yeah, and the way that they did it was so well done in just little tiny things like that. That's why... I'm loving this game so much and these characters so much. Um, there are some exceptions. Uh, Torbjorn, while my favorite, is probably one of the ones that has the uh, least amount of, obvi- like, I want to say, like, deep overlap with other, like, he was an Overwatch member, but it, his story isn't so much intertwined with the others as much as his story is still unfolding, especially after the comic, which yeah. I think was interesting. Yeah. Because we still don't know much about that person that he essentially had to rip out of a, an Omnic war machine. It's like there's still more to be discovered there. So his his story is kind of yet to come. Uh, Mai was another one that was, I, I don't want to say sort of kind of maybe in there, but not really. But hers is interesting because she was one of the younger uh, members of Overwatch that was part of their multi-year initiative to sort of ramp up things before everything got torn apart. And it's it's actually kind of interesting just in that regard that we have these standalone characters. Uh, I, I don't want to say, like, they're not part of the story, but there's more to discover exactly. about them. Yeah. And and that's that's sort of the, intri- the interesting thing because we don't know everything yet. And I... Oh God, it's... I'm going to gush for a second. It's that sense of wonder, right? It's that sense of discovery and wonder that makes some of these characters so intriguing and the story of this game that doesn't even have an in-game, like, story <laughs> so good. Like, oh. the, the yeah, I'm o- sorry. It's just so no, good. no, no, no. It's, it's the only worry I have is that at some point they will, and for lack of a better term, they will get lazy about it and they will stop giving us these story elements. They'll give us a little bit here and there, maybe a little short story every once in a while, but that'll be it. And that's a a real concern. Yes, they've done some for, say, WoW, albeit not much for Diablo or the other IPs. So WoW, though, is one of those wherein you get most of your, your lore in the game or in the novels, say. So the short stories, while still incredibly written in, in insightful still aren't necessarily needed per se whereas in this game where you're definitely not going to get your story in the game if they get lazy about it out of game and don't make as many comics or cinematics or these news reports or whatever kind of thing it will be felt and it will make a big difference in our enjoyment of the lore of the overwatch i I will agree with that i will agree with that fear but I'm going to remain a little bit hopeful simply because this is one of those things where, and I touched upon this earlier, because it's so, I don't want to say plug and play, but because they can really insert whatever type of character they want into this world, I think that is incentive enough for the people who would create these characters to pitch them, to write a story. And they have no shortage of talented people at that company. And every single one of them, is got ideas. They have these characters that they grew up with. They're all nerds like we are. I have a million characters in my head growing up that I would, you know, commit to paper or commit to digital form if I could. I know you do as well. Yeah. And 
I know damn well they do. And if they tap their resources of just the people they have there, they're never going to run out of uh, uh, run out of compelling story, interesting characters, and cool ideas. All they have to do is listen. But the, and I, I, I'm going to remain hopeful that they will. But there's a difference between everyone having ideas and people being paid to work on said ideas to put out a comic versus working on something that is directly in the games kind of thing. That's all I mean. And sure, again, sure. we can go back to all the other games to see that that's an actual concern. So I'm just, I'm hopeful, but I'm a little, a little worried. Just to briefly, briefly talk on the game, and then we're going to move on to uh, some Dishonored 2. We've been playing the crap out of it, and we actually had some fun and played together the other night, which which was nice. And I've been playing the crap out of it with my, my youngest son. We've been having a lot of fun. The eldest son wants to buy it too, but only if his wife will let him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not butting my nose in and buying it for him based on that alone. <laughs> but I, with the exception of a little bit of balancing, which needs to be done, it has come so far from the first beta that I played that I did not like. It's amazing. And it's mm-hmm. incredible how much fun we are having in this game right now. So there are some things very interestingly enough that I noticed at the beginning of this, of the game's life that I have similar problems with it that I did with team fortress two right out the gate. And I will say this because very recently I did something very asshole-ish in a game with my friends, and it worked too damn good. Turrets are a thing. <laughs> we played a game of four Trollbjorns, and I will call him Trollbjorn at this point. One's, uh, one Symmetra, and we had one healer. I think we had, like, a Luxio. The amount of turrets that you can put out plus your own DPS was just stupid. We shut down an entire team. It could not have been fun for them. I remember the same thing happening in Team Fortress 2 with engineers and them having to put a limit on the fact that you could only have three engineers per side in a game. I feel that that's going to wind up happening pretty soon with Overwatch just to kind of keep things balanced just a little bit. See, that's actually something that was just brought up on Twitter today that I was talking to some about that because I disagree, actually. Yes, it's a pain in the ass to come across. However, there are counters to it. And that's where you look at, I actually posted on our Discord channel a crap load of every single character and who they're, they're good against and who they're not good against. I take no credit for it, but I, I found them and I slapped them on there. And it's true. And that's why she was saying how she hated going up against a full team of Reinhardt's or, or Bastion because it just obliterates. But it will only obliterate you if you don't switch out. All you got to do is switch out and all of a sudden you own the place. Ironically, I just watched a video today, this afternoon, of a full team of Symmetra. And it was just wall-to-wall turrets everywhere. And the other team was getting their ass handed to them. And finally, they all switched to Winston. (laughs) So they came out, they wiped everything down, and they wound up winning at the end. So it's just about being fluid, being flexible. And that's a lot of the fun. Because as much as Team Fortress 2 allowed you to switch out, I shouldn't say past tense, allows you to switch out, 
it's not it's it's different than this because you're looking at 21 heroes to choose from because mm-hmm. of the differences in each based on if they're more dps tank support etc that then has a huge impact on who you choose to play and that's something that i mean you probably noticed i was as i was playing and, and my son did as well and I, I tell him i will literally start off say um hollywood or different places i'll start off specifically with turrets and mine be it a bastion or be oh, yeah. my, my torbjorn and then as soon as i die the first time boom i'm coming back as this healer sometimes it'll even be this little section this is mercy land this is where i love to heal as soon as See? they're past that boom i'm a lucio so by encouraging that type of fluidity which is a large part of this type of game i think that by putting restrictions you're really gonna fuck up the flow because i mean again you got two torbjorns or maybe three that are out and you're you die you don't realize this and you're like oh fuck you know i want to play it i don't care if we're not playing competitive here i'm not in a group of guys that can kick me out because i'm being a jerk fuck that if i want to play torbjorn i put my 60 dollars down i'm gonna play a goddamn torbjorn See, this is one of those things where it's it's sort of an interesting conundrum for this game only, though. And, and I say that simply because of the popularity of the Blizzard brand and the type of people that are playing this game. With Team Fortress 2, it was sort of a different animal. People who really played that game aren't necessarily the only people playing Overwatch. You know what I mean? So a lot more people that haven't played first-person shooters before are playing Overwatch. People who have never even heard of team fortress are playing overwatch and there's a sort of mental break where people like us who have played team fortress and are used to switching out or used to changing your composition that's an easy mindset to adopt some people have this very distinct loyalty to characters and this is where it gets a little tricky because if you only want to play mercy and you don't want to play anything other than mercy you're limiting yourself, but that's because you you love that character. That's the character that you paid your $60 to play every game. You're going to wind up in situations where potentially that one person is going to have a very bad time. And Blizzard being a company that, again, likes to make money because that's, that's what companies do, folks, has to balance it so that the game still has to remain fun for the people that you know, understand everything that's going on and the people who bought it because they like the aesthetics or they like a character or they read a really cool comic or they watched a really cool video, but they don't really subscribe to that game type 100 percent. And they're kind of like drop in, drop out players. They have to find that balance, that sweet spot. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the only thing that I can see. Like, it's a unique problem to Overwatch in that regard. Yes, but it is a problem that will resolve itself very, very quickly. Because a first-person shooter is unlike most other games that people would try. So if someone is not into those type of games, it will not take long for them to go in, realize what the fuck is happening, and get out and never come back again. So I feel that they're not going to have to deal with that for very long. So it's not something that they need to implement restrictions on gameplay based on. I would disagree in some capacity just because from a business standpoint, you still want to make money off of this. You still want people buying loot boxes. You want people picking up the game. And 
you want sort of that recurring revenue. You don't want just $40 and done or $20 on sale and done. While that's nice, engagement is kind of a thing, right? It's a metric that companies really measure. And I know for a fact that's one that Blizzard has recently you know, stated multiple times over that they measure is user engagement across the various games. That's why Diablo got seasons and new stuff. That's why Hearthstone gets expansions and new cards and tweaks and things like that. It's it's sort of the nature of the beast because they still need to draw people in to try to get money to make it a profitable thing because as it remains profitable, then they can keep creating more characters and then they can create, keep putting more stuff into the game and it becomes a self-feeding cycle in that regard. I'm not saying that it is absolutely going to be a problem. I'm just saying that it's one of those things where I could see it being a concern because of that. Based on their track record based on their push towards esports and based on the public's craving of this IP before it started as well as since I don't think they have anything to worry about fair I, no, that's a, I think it's they're going to be a valid, long it's a time. valid opinion yeah I, I think this game has got more legs right now than Team Fortress 2 and that game has got fucking legs <laughs> Team Fortress 2 is still yes. going strong. So I I think that based on the respect that Blizzard gives their IPs and attention when they feel that those IPs are deserving, I think that this game can go for a very, very long time. I got my fingers crossed because I'm having a whole hell of a lot of fun. Oh, dude. Dude. It's fucking ridiculous. And, and see, oh. this is going back to what you were saying. Um and not to to bring up the argument again, but just to to make light of it and explain the fact that I've been in games where we just went, you know what, and without even talking to each other, because that's one of the things I I turn off chat immediately. And and for people who don't know how to do this, especially if you're a healer, you probably want to be able to do this because you're tired of hearing, I need healing, I need healing, I need healing, I need all the time. So what you do is as soon as the game starts, you hit P and everybody's names will be there in the chat channels. Just turn them all off. And Mm -hmm. as people change in and out, you'll see new player joined. You're just going to go hit P, cancel, boom. And then you don't get any of that crap. It's phenomenal. You know, one thing I will I want to commend them on real quick too, just while we're talking about that, the social aspect, is the ability to sort of blacklist without blacklisting. That is phenomenal. Uh, we had a, a group of players. It was me and two buddies, and then we kept getting paired up with the same three folks on the same team, and they just kept spamming emotes the entire time because there's they haven't patched out. There's a key combination you can do that will just gets around the chat limit. Uh, and it was just absolutely mind-numbingly horrible to try to do anything because it was just this constant barrage. Open up the social panel. There's a whole list of all the people you've played with recently. You can right-click on anybody's name, and you can either set as a preferred, like, hey, I like this person, but not quite enough to be friends, and it will try to match you with them more often when available. You can also avoid that person. Yeah. So that it will never, ever pair you with them in any situation ever again. And they do it in such a way where it's not as obtrusive as blocking or anything like that. Oh, I just block motherfuckers. 
You, you, can, you absolutely can. But there's some folks that maybe you have that annoying coworker that you, you like most of the time. You don't really want to just block him, but you don't want to hear his shit. So you just kind of put him on the I'm going to kind of avoid you for now list. I think that was a really nice yeah. touch. Oh, I yeah. also really enjoy the fact that they give you a multiple page list of the people you've played with recently. So you don't have to rack your brain and try to remember the exact spelling of late speak Reaper derivative name uh, to avoid that player. You can literally just go and look. And I think that was really cool. Yeah, because it's much like MOBAs, the communities can be fairly toxic. And so I've already been in groups where people are bitching and complaining already. So I honestly, it's one of those don't even waste your time trying to talk to them. Just block right away and then you don't have to listen to that crap anymore. Or do like I do. Just mute every motherfucker <laughs> within a freaking mile radius. All of them. <laughs> Shut up. I don't hear from it. I, the catalyst for this, and this is why I made that little picture that I showed you as well, too. Yeah, is, I love that, by the way. I Again, I love to play a healer. And I can't remember if I said it on this podcast or I know I talked to you about it. And I was talking to other people. Mercy is, for me, quite literally, the best healing character I have ever played in any game in my entire life. The most fun to play, the most gripping, the most incredible in terms of how well balanced it is. Because you do die still a lot and there's a lot of different problems. But also your ability to help while in combat, be it by buffing the others or actually firing and killing shit. When I kill freaking McCree's on my my mercy... I swear an angel gets its wings <laughs> and then they orgasm. It's that awesome. Okay? <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, no, it's the, that gameplay for me speaks to me in a way that's incredible. It's so well done. I, I still right now, because of balancing am using Lucio a lot because his healing is freaking amazing. Plus he has a survivability of a goddamn tank. So and, and most does, of the time, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So um, all that just to say, like the you play Mercy, well, your team will either love you or they'll hate you. You'll get members that hate you, and it, there's nothing you can do about it. Like it, you're you're still bouncing around healing all over the damn place, but people forget they're being healed and take off on you. And then you're left there to die because the only speed boost you have is to actually fly to them. But as soon as they're too far, well, fuck that shit. They're too far. You can't get to them. Oh, you're dead again. I can't tell you how many times a Reinhardt has left me in the dust. So anyways, so you heal again. You try to be very good and, and still strategic and things like that. And sometimes, hey, it's calling the shots. You're dead. Sorry, buddy. I got to keep healing this guy. But the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that I... Like, I play with my son a lot. I don't care what he's playing. That's my number one priority. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the group, we're not playing competitively for a freaking tournament or anything. So I don't care if you die. <laughs> that simple. We lost the match. Oh, well, we're going to play another one and have fun. And more often than not, my son and I are always, if not in the play of the game, especially him because he's doing DPS, we're in the four at the end for getting points and and often the both of us in there so we have fun and we do well well of course you're gonna have people 
bitching at you because you only heal this one character. And it's like, oh, you children, shut up. There's a simple solution. Roll support next time or just shut the fuck up. And even easier, <laughs> I've found out as the person healing, fuck that. Just don't don't expect the best of humanity. Mute every motherfucker in sight instead. <laughs> well, to be fair, that's a lesson we've been conditioned to learn over a decade, Roger, yeah. if not more. But anyways, my point initially was that one of the things that I really am loving is that ridiculousness of being in a group where one by one you see everybody picking the same character. Just it's it's people who are not in chat together. It's just coming together mm-hmm. and say, let's do it. Let's fucking do this. And it might not work, but it's going to be hysterical. And that's one of the things that I really like about this game and how it's playing out, actually. Yeah, I love the ridiculousness that you can do with it. And there's a, there's a YouTuber I watch, and uh, he does a lot of Destiny stuff, and he's recently started doing a lot of Overwatch stuff for obvious reasons. And he, they do these series of videos where it's what they call 6v6, and it's always one full team of a hero versus another full team of a different hero, and to see who would win. Like the ultimate sniper battle when it was six Hanzos versus uh, six <laughs> Widowmakers, and then after after the first round they switched, and then the other team would play like, and, and they they arrange this where it's like he's got four people he plays with, and then they always pick up a puppy, and the, the other team is always a random assortment, and they all do it, and it's one of the it's some of the most fun I've seen people have because it's ridiculous. Yep. Or or you know six Zenyatas or uh, six Zyras, excuse me, versus six Winstons. Uh, it's because it's easy. Is, it's it's easy to say, yeah, sure, why not? Let's do it. Yeah, as opposed there's no, to there's no gravity to it. Exactly, right? you're not going to lose points. You're 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 ranking in whatever leaderboard stats. Now that may change later on, but as it stands now, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. So if somebody says, let's just be idiots and try this. Sure, why not? <laughs> it could wind up being one of those stand up and cheer moments at the end, which justifiably. I've had a few of those without the standing up, <laughs> but the arms <laughs> in the air going, yes, holy shit has actually happened several times. Oh, I absolutely love it. I, you know, and in, in, we're gushing about this game and you have to understand that there is a reason for that. It, we love ridiculous. We love over the top when it's done well. And in a game like this, I, it's super easy to do it well. I mean, I will I will never forget the first night that I was playing with my friends and we did six mercies because why the hell not? You know, we just ran around with our little pea shooters, like just laughing hysterically. We got murdered. The game was over very, very quickly. But but it was was, it was hilarious. It was fun. There was no gravity to it. And I think this is another thing that they're doing really well, too, is because they're going to have uh, competitive play separate. It's going to be its own thing where you have your general quick play and then you have, you know, your actual ranking system. And this is something that uh, I think they kind of rightly stole from uh, other games of competitive nature, such as like Rocket League, where they have two separate ladders and and things like that. It's smart. It's good because it means that those people can be super serious about their composition and their metas and what counters what. And I'll be over here banging on a bench while my turret gets play of the game, you know, but it's not just that it's not only is there no consequence, you're still going to get experience. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually worthwhile. You're not going to get as much per se, 
but you're still going to get experience. So fuck, why not? So anyways, let's move on to another title. This one being one that we are more excited to be eventually getting our hands on. Not so much right now, but we've been getting a ton more news about dishonor too. And holy, like I'm, Everything I'm hearing is generating more and more excitement for this mm-hmm. title. And I'm surprised at just how much because there have been a number of different titles that have come out that have been sequels that, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing. But I'll wait until it's on sale, especially now. Fucking game prices are stupid high right now in Canada. But uh, so it's like one of those. Uh, I'll wait till it's on sale. Uncharted 4 supposed to be un- unbelievably awesome. I'll wait till it's wait on sale. Yep. Dishonor 2? Fuck that shit. I am that shit. You playing kidding? that shit day one. Hell yeah. And it's it's one of those things where you don't see that often. I mean, it's a brand new IP. Well, not brand new because it's a sequel, but Dishonored was brand new IP. But it, they did such a good job of world building and making us care about the characters as well and did such a good job with their storytelling that we are... Uh, in in the first sequel so heavily invested in this game and we're not alone this is the majority of people it's like yeah i'm playing this like immediately as soon as it comes out i don't care how much it costs that's incredible one of the more one of the most important things that they did as a game company too is when they started releasing betas for the original dishonored they said break our shit do what you can here's all the tools here's the frameworks we're not going to limit you you do whatever you want with our powers and you figure out the combinations and go for it. We're not restricting you. And some of the most amazing kills, some of the most amazing playthroughs, some of the coolest tricks. Like I have a friend who has spent a thousand hours in this game and dishonored one from that long ago. That's amazing. And to see what they're doing here with Dishonor 2, they're doing the same yeah. damn thing. And that makes me so excited because not only are we getting, you know, Corvo with the the sort of tried and true tested power set, you know, the the teleports and the swarm of rats and and time stop and things like that. Those are going to get modified, which I think is cool. Uh, There's going to be a perk or an ability that you can pick up that will actually let you speed up time, which is really kind of cool. But now we have Emily. And this is one of the most important and intriguing things about Dishonored 2. Emily, in case you didn't know, uh, and, and, you know, I guess spoilers or whatever, but the game's been out for so long. She's Corvo's daughter. And he's getting older. He's not always going to be around to protect her, who also happens to be the empress of this nation. So he's teaching her to basically take care of herself and defend herself against assassins. Because one day... He's going to get too slow and he's going to die or he's not going to be there or, you know, he'll pass away in his sleep and she's going to have to take care of himself or herself because he doesn't trust anybody else to do it. She's got a whole new bevy of powers and it is amazing. I mean, she's got uh, far reach, which is similar to blink, which is sort of like a teleport skill. But it's when she moves, it's sort of like this weird tentacle thing that comes out and like pulls her forward. Uh, She can also use it to reach enemies and bring them closer to her, which is kind of cool. She's got a sort of dark vision, which lets her see through or see enemy movement through walls, which is a Corvo thing, too. Uh, She has mesmerize, which allows her to basically 
conjure a terror in the universe, where we heard that before, uh, that consumes the attention of nearby guards. Domino, which is one of the cooler things here, where she can actually use a psionic tether to link up to four enemies together. And whatever happens to the one enemy happens to every single one of them that's linked together. Kill one, they all die. Put one to sleep, they all go to sleep. It's really kind of an interesting thing because I can see a lot of weird, cool things happening with that. Well, it's, uh, a, it's intelligent design because yes. you've got a character that's not going to be as necessarily as much health, say, as Corvo. I don't know if it will or not, but you get the idea from Corvo. He's much more of a he's tank a now, tank guy, yeah. whereas she's going to be much more the roguish kind of character. So here you're giving her essentially AoE. So either be it AoE debuffs or AoE DPS kind of thing to make use then of her speed and whatnot while not affecting her health. So it's, it's a nice intelligent trade-off. Well, there's also a really cool interaction too with one of her other abilities, which they've kind of laid out a little bit here, which is doppelganger where she can actually create a clone of herself. And not only is this great for, you know, sending up distractions or, you know, luring guards away or whatever the case is, you can domino to your doppelganger and use your doppelganger as that point. So as long as you have vision on those enemies, you can spawn a doppelganger and knock your own doppelganger out or kill your own doppelganger and never have to go anywhere near those enemies. That is, that's really cool to me just off the bat. I think that's going to be really, really awesome. Uh, I don't know. I think she's definitely the most exciting part of this for me because even in the original game you didn't really get to you knew about her but you didn't really get to see too much about her as a standalone character here because she's a playable character you're going to be getting so much more of her so much more of her story and then you have the relationship between her and Corvo where she's got to balance the fact that her most trusted bodyguard is also her dad and all this other cool stuff. And then the fact that not only is she a vigilante, but she's also an empress. She has to run a nation on top of that, on top of being this person that goes out and meets out justice. And I think that's really cool. It's, it, it's an interesting complication. It's not just, you know, Oh, she saw traumatic events as her childhood. And now this, you know, shapes it. Yes, that's part of it but she has this sort of dual complicated life that she has to lead. And I always like that sort of juxtaposition. The thing that I like too about, uh, about her story is actually what I'm looking forward to, because when we look at the, the first one, while yes, we were playing as Corvo and not her still the impact on her, the child throughout the choices that you made throughout the game were incredibly impactful. So then what will that mean for this one? Because it means basically they're going to stick the landing. They're going to give us an ending that is impactful based on what we've done with both of the characters throughout the game, because you can play through with, with both of them experiencing different things. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the end result, which most of the time, by sheer virtue of the fact that I, like many people, am notorious for never finishing all the games that I play. To me, it's never about that final character, that final boss, which is often 
lets you down. It's about the gameplay and the journey leading up to it. That's fun kind of thing. So for this though, while yes, I'm I'm really looking forward to all of the story leading up to it and the gameplay, obviously, it's that end for this one. This will be one that, much like the first one, I'm going to finish it because I want to see the the breath of what occurs at the end based on the choices that you make while you're playing. Oh, yeah. And, and one thing that we should mention when we're talking about the end of the game is this is, we, we found out the Dishonored 2 story takes place um, after, and, and I have mixed feelings about this, the canonical ending of the first one, which is you save Emily and you spare her captor. Like, that is the canonical ending that they, they envisioned when they started writing this story. I'm a little kind of okay with it, but at the same point, that sort of invalidates if you decided to go through on a killing spree. I didn't, so I'm okay with it. But for people that maybe wanted to kill that jerk at the end and didn't get the chance to do so, okay, I can see them being a little miffed. I've already heard a couple people kind of rumbling about it. But I'm going to be interested to see how that sort of canonical ending plays into this game and what sort of ripples that has. Um, the other cool thing is... Did you see some of the uh, the voice actor lists that they, they oh, laid out? Jeez. Yeah. So if you've been living under a rock, uh, the voice acting in the game in Dishonored One was fantastic, and I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's going to be fantastic in Dishonored Two as well. When you have people like Vincent D'Onofrio, Rosario Dawson, Pedro Pascal, Sam Rockwell, <laughs> Robin Lord Taylor, Stephen Russell, and uh, Eric Luttrell, or, I'm sorry, Erica Luttrell. These are amazing people with solid voices that when you go back and if you look at what they've done, you've heard them in a ton of things. Uh, well, it's not, not just, just the movies, caliber of their voice acting. Yeah, it's not just the caliber of their voice. It's their, their quality mm-hmm. as an actor. So they know what they're doing. So that's what's going to come through. Yeah, and I'm I'm absolutely 100% looking forward to seeing what they do with the characters that they've been assigned. It's going to be so amazing. Yeah. The um, the other thing that we I, that I like that they're doing with this is very much what we were talking about with, with Overwatch, where there's going to be comics. They're actually really going to be pushing hard into comics with some of it bridging that space between the two. And there's actually talk of they're doing novels for it as well. So there's going to be a ton going on. So that's that's really quite cool. Oh, I will buy every single novel. I will read every single comic. I loved the world that they built the first yeah. time. And, and this is one of those interesting things, too. The first game was very industrial, very dirty, very dingy, very gang run, very sort of the Industrial Revolution type of era. In Dishonored 2, because it's happening in a different city, in a different climate, it looks like everything that it looks like. It's a little more Mediterranean. It's a little more... Yeah. bright. It's not as dingy and dark. It's not saying that it's clean. It's still pretty dirty. You have warring factions. You have ruins. You have states in disarray. Slums are always going to be a thing. But I like that this is now going to be a brighter setting. There's going to be a, a wider color palette, too, to add sort of visual interest. Not that, you know, the first game didn't have that, but the palette was sort of, it was muted. It fit the game perfectly. Here, though, with the changing world, this fits perfectly, and I'm really, really okay with that. Uh, the other thing that I thought was fantastic is 
Dishonored 1 was a very complicated game in how you wanted to play through it. There were branching paths for every quest, every kill, uh, quote-unquote, because you didn't have to kill anything. I actually made it through a game killing nothing. Nothing. Um, you could fuck choose that. Your they were path. all bad people. <laughs> What's that? I said, fuck that. They were all bad people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could be Vincent. I'm sure he killed Emily. I'm going to go ahead and assume that his not being here is a mission of him having killed Emily in the first game. Bastard. But here, Harvey Smith, who is, you know, very important in Arcane Studios here, has flat out said he's not going to dumb down the mechanics of the game and that you don't need to. And that's good. You don't need to put the game on rails. You don't need to pare everything down. Leaving that game open, leaving the system so that players can experience it as they want is a huge thing, at least to players like me. And I'm certainly certain for you too as well roger right yeah. yeah like that's that's cool let me have those complicated systems let me figure out how things interact let me figure out my own way to solve your puzzle out of the eight thousand that you've thought of let me see if i can figure out eight thousand and one i i like that because that that's what keeps me in the gameplay of these types of games is sort of that the discovery that that figuring it out for myself if i feel the game is too far on rails like deus ex or other games of that nature i tend to get very bored and don't want to finish it well it's not just that it's bored it's that it's it's a very psychological thing where there's no ownership of what it is that you're doing because and no it's, challenge it's preordained it's it's going to happen so you don't have to it's, there's really no None of the very basic elements of our DNA of going out and exploring and conquering and different things like that and doing it for ourselves. And you get that feeling when you have a lot more choices, whereas if it is very much on rails, then there's then it's a good story. And it might be a very, it might be a phenomenal story, but it's it doesn't have the same level of engagement that you get from being able to make those choices yourself. No, that's pretty much spot on. All right. So any parting thoughts before we move on? <sighs> November 11th can't come soon enough. Yes. So that is being worked on, of course, by Arcane and published by Bethesda. Bethesda, by the way, is working on a little card game. We briefly mentioned it before. I hear it's pretty damn awesome. The person I spoke to couldn't tell me any more than that, sadly. Because there's a fucking NDA. <laughs> but they said it was awesome. So, anyways. There's another card game that's going to be coming out, hopefully. And I'm just going to touch on it ever so briefly because it's on Kickstarter right now. Lionheart Studios closed not that long ago. And um, it, of course, published Fable. And, or not Lionheart, sorry, Lionhead. And, uh... <laughs> Sadly associated with Peter Mulliner, but there's still a lot of good people that work there, right? But not anymore. They're not associated with him anymore. Yay! They're not associated with him anymore. But, of course, they worked on Fable. And Fable had its problems, certainly, and I spoke about them at length in prior episodes, but they also did some things very, very well. One of the things that they were working on that they hadn't told anybody is they were actually working on a collectible card game before Microsoft decided to close them down. 
Now, the a, a bunch of the people from there went off and started their own studio, and they wanted to work on this card game that they'd been working on for, I think they said like 18 months. Yeah, 18 months. Yeah, it's been a long time, been yeah. working on it. And surprisingly, Microsoft said, yeah, go ahead. And they granted them the license for that specifically. They can't make their own Fable games, but they can make this card game in the Fable and do whatever they want with it as well. So, I mean, they're going through old concept art that they've had and different things to expand the world in addition to putting stuff that's actually directly tied to Albion and the people in that world as well. And so they're actually on Kickstarter right now. There's still 27 days to go. They're asking for a quarter of a million pounds. It's a lot of fucking money. They're at 30,000 now. I'm hoping it goes through. I have some concerns over it. Although for the most part, my concerns tend to be the aesthetics because it doesn't look like cards. There are cards, but when they're played, they're mini figurines kind of things. And for me, it doesn't work quite as well. But the actual mechanics of the game and using the morality system that's been in all of the Fable games where you're choosing if you're going to do good and evil, and that then affects your hero and will affect some of the cards, which will morph based on what your alignment is. Plus, you can do, there's going to be co-op specifically, so you and a partner will have access to each other's cards to to play against an AI boss. There's going to be a lot of cool things that they're actually planning to do with it that really, I'm quite interested to see what's going to happen. I actually think it's a cool idea. Uh, I think that it could be very well done, potentially. I like the idea of adding in some extra bits, like the morality system. I just fear that it will be, A, too much, and B, that the brand might have been, I don't want to say irreparably damaged. Sullied. Yeah, sullied would be a great word for it at this point, and I think that people may not invest in it based on that. Like, I have a feeling if they put a banner up that said, Peter Molyneux is not involved in this project and might do better on Kickstarter already, but we'll see. And it very much is that, because I have backed card games. I love all manner of card games. Maybe even card games that I'm playing that I'm not supposed to be talking about. I like card games, and I still have backed this one. Not because I don't like the Fable universe, because I do, actually. And not because I don't like their quirky sense of humor or anything like that. I do. Even taking into consideration the aesthetics that I'm not crazy about, I haven't backed it because it was Lionhead Studios. And that's too bad for these guys because they deserve the shot and they might not have had anything to do with the bad decisions that were made or had any choice in the matter. But that's still the pedigree that's there. And unfortunately, that does fall on their heads as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it's an unfortunate moniker that they're going to have to wear. Well, again, had they chosen to start the studio up and do a card game that was not based on Fable, completely different, whatever, I'd be much more on point, actually. But being those guys and having that Fable sticker on it is enough for me to go, I don't know. And because right now there are so many CCGs coming out, it's actually easier to be picky about it now. Because, oh, yeah, you, yeah. again, there's only so much time in a day, so which card game do you want to be playing the most? So I'm, I tend to play, again, Hex is my main one, but then I'll play a couple of the other ones here and there as I want to. But I'm not going to be playing five or six ones. I, I don't even play Hearthstone anymore for the most part. 
So yeah. you pick and you choose. The other one, just very briefly, because it had some interesting things about it, is the um, Chronicles of Illyria, which is a, an MMORPG that's going to be coming out. But it's got some interesting elements, including aging and death. Now, they've already passed their goal easily, which was mm-hmm. 900,000. They're well over 1.2 million. And they're looking but at 42 hours ago. 42 the time hours. Of recording. They're still going to keep going. Yeah. So that's great. And it's, I mean, that's a, again, an MMO. You're looking at a different beast. That's a much bigger to tackle. But I like some of the concepts that they were talking about that they want to do with this, particularly the aging and the death and the lineage that you are are creating and i like that idea of you can play you know the father and the son and then the grandson and keep going down the line and you're choosing how to play that character and it makes it feel like it's much more in story chunks versus just one constant you're always this character and you're going to go through a whole bunch of different memorable epic journeys or whatever this is just no this guy here for a little while he's actually going to be a thief he's going to get caught and he's going to die so often that he's going to die earlier because of it because that's another mechanic that's awesome in this and then his son is you know going to think no that's not right I'm going to pay for what he did wrong and go the holy route or if that's in the game that kind of thing you know so I really, really like that idea a lot. There's a lot going on here as far as concepts go. Some of them are old, and we've seen some games try to accomplish them. Uh, Some of them are new, like the aging process, which is really intriguing. It could be very, very cool. It could be very, very poor. It all depends on implementation. But they're making a fully, fully interacted, fully destructible world. They've created their own platform with which to use, which from a techie standpoint is one of the more interesting things to me, uh, which is spatial OS. Uh, I don't know if you did any research into that. No. It's basically a self-sustaining world generation sandbox that essentially takes elements from stuff like Unity and logically figures out where they go on its own. So it creates a dynamic world based off the inputs of the players without them having to worry about system implementation and things like that. That's really interesting to me because that potentially creates an infinitely scalable world. I'm really curious to see how that goes out because that's new technology. That's flat out new tech. And I can't wait to see how that gets implemented for something like this. And, you know, the fact that it has hit its goal. Yeah, we're going to see that, and that makes me really happy. Well, the other thing, too, is that, and this is the last thing I'll say about it that I think is cool, is the point that they made, too, where in because of the aging process and because the characters die, you actually have a reason to log in every day or as often as you can, which is kind of a pro and a con because you don't want to be tied to the game much like being forced to feel forced that you have to do dailies in wow kind of thing just so that you can have the money or do whatever kind of thing so that that that's kind of a con but the pro is that there is that that measure of being able to appreciate what you're doing in the moment a lot more because you know that it's not permanent 
So you care a lot more about the character as much as, you know, same as in real life. You care a mm-hmm. lot more about the characters because you know they're not always going to be around. And you start to think that way as you get older, obviously. So this kind of idea in a game where, damn, I'm having a lot of fun with this character, like a lot of fun. And I want to keep doing that because he's not always going to be around. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> it is flat out awesome. Incredible. I love that idea. One, one of the other cool things about that, too, and, and this will be the last thing I touch on, is one of the things that is often commented on in MMOs is the sense of community, right? It's whether it's a great sense of community, a poor sense of community. And here, because of the way they're setting up the game world, because of the way they're setting up the environments, because it's persistent, even when you're not online, it forces you to make friends and alliances and place trust in other players and get to know each other. Uh, I'm reminded of, and this is going to sound really goofy, but Ark Survival Evolved, uh, because when you log out of the game, your body just goes to sleep wherever you logged out. It, the world persists whether or not you're logged in, which means if a dinosaur decides that it wants to tear down your base wall and eat your corpse or your body and turn you into a corpse, that's going to happen when you're not online. Similar situation here. Let's say you set up a town and you set up a community. It's not just an individual settlement anymore. You now have incentive to have neighbors, to have friends, to maybe set up a watch schedule or to maybe set up a a system where, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to be on for this couple hours here and I'll take care of things for a while, take care of maintenance and and figure out things from there. And it forces players to interact in a way that other MMOs don't. No matter how much we talk about, like, my gushing over Legion with order halls, those are just social hubs. Whether or not I'm logged in line doesn't matter. Nothing changes. Here, if I log out and my town gets sieged, I could die. My character could die. Everything I've built could be gone. My my cabbage stand that I've so proudly built <laughs> and, and have sold for everybody could be gone, and I'll be sitting there screaming, my cabbages these are things that can happen and it incentivizes me to go to like, Hey, hi, my name's Joe. This is, you know, my, this is my character and you know, this is what we're going to do. And Hey, do you want to be neighbors? Do you want to watch stuff while I'm logged out? And you know, maybe my schedule matches up. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, There's a lot of potential. Definitely. And it, which is also a little frightening because of the vast amount of money that is required for MMOs, especially if it's going to be an MMO with a large scope. So um, I'm, again, once again, hopeful, a little cautious, but uh, but definitely hopeful. And with that, we are going to wrap it up for the week. Thank you very much for listening. You can find the show notes, of course, at ForTheLore.log. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com slash live. It was going to come out eventually. Anyways, <laughs> we normally record on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Times and broadcast, but we didn't this week just because of different scheduling conflicts. We are also on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually. Joe is at LoaderZJ and Vince is at Samodian and I am Buddhist. And with that, you can also leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher. And we will see you guys actually very soon because we're actually going to do a second of episode this week, but it's going to be a phenomenal it's i hope phenomenal phenomenal it better be if not i mean okay otherwise you're fired it'll be great because i mean one of you is probably gonna die awesome awesome i'm willing to take the bullet anyways and that is going to be a shadow run episode so there's going to be a couple of episodes coming out for you all to listen to this week and with that we'll talk to you next week bye-bye would you
30 years from now, in the wake of a robot uprising, the United Nations will create an organization tasked with saving the very world from the Omnic Crisis. A group of misfits and heroes led by a veteran soldier will do just that. In times of war, and in the peacetime which will follow, another soldier will prove himself... <coughs> Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> Air. I was taken out by air. It was bound to happen. Man, even when <coughs> you're not messing up, something has to conspire against God. you. Okay, hold on. In times of war and in the peacetime which will follow, another soldier will prove himself by continually bringing out the best in his team as well as in the communities he protects. He'll be given command of this organization, causing an irreparable schism between he and the prior leader will set about creating a black ops task force from within. Rumors will spread about this black ops team's misdeeds, causing distrust to mount within the UN as well as the world as a whole. This tension will eventually culminate in massive firefight within the organization's Swiss HQ, leading to the destruction of the building, multiple deaths, and the eventual dismantling of the very team. Years will pass, Omnix will seek peace and acceptance, trying to live among humanity as sentient equals who mean their warm-blooded counterparts no harm. However, tensions will rise, as they are wont to do, and within another 30 years, need will rise again. <coughs> again, fuck. Need will rise again for the agents of Overwatch to be recalled. Blizzard has long understood that lore is imperative. It doesn't matter what type of game you're creating. We, the gamers, need a motivation. We need a history, and we need a purpose. All of these elements need to be laid out for you in the form... That was wrong. All of these elements... <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> I'm seriously still trying. <laughs> Lesser men would have given up by now, okay? Hey, I give you credit, man. I give you credit. <laughs> All of these elements need to be laid out for you. See, I did it again. Need not be laid out. <laughs> All of these elements need not be laid out for you in the form of traditional questing. They can simply exist, and from there, those of us interested in learning more can do so whether it's via comic books, novels, cinematics, or even mock news reports on the developer's site. We need more than simply a gun in our hand. We need a reason to fire it. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.